You're listening to Mobile Money by Moo Moo, demystifying markets one episode at a time. This content is strictly for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be interpreted as a recommendation or investment guidance. Keep in mind that this information is not personalized and should not be the sole basis for your investment decisions as there may be additional factors to consider. Hi, welcome to Mobile Money by Moomoo. I'm your host, Justin Zacks, Vice President of Strategy at Moomoo Technologies. I've spent my whole career in and around financial markets. This is a show that helps investors gain a better understanding of markets and their money. Alternative assets have really caught on in the last few decades as investors broaden their horizons beyond just stocks and bonds. Digital currencies has been extremely popular in the last few years and none so much as Bitcoin. And recently we saw the launch of uh, Bitcoin ETFs. And so I was very interested in learning about uh, these new ETFs, learning a little bit more about Bitcoin. And I was really fortunate to sit down with two really great professionals from Franklin Templeton and talk to them about uh, these Bitcoin ETFs, what's going on uh, in the industry, what's going on with these securities. Really learned a lot, uh, and hopefully you will too when I share that with you. But before we get started, I need to remind you that past performance is no guarantee of future results and that investing is risky and the landscape continues to evolve. Here's the interview. Uh, let's get started. Sandy Call is uh, Senior Vice President, Digital Assets and Industry Advisory Services where she provides advisory consulting uh, for Franklin Templeton and thought leadership as part of Franklin Templeton's Institute. David Mann is the head of ETF products and capital markets for Franklin Templeton. Welcome. I want to thank both of you for being here today. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Sure, I'll dive in. Thanks so much, Justin, for having us. It's a pleasure to be here today. Um, As you said, I do thought leadership on the industry and how it's evolving and changing. Uh, And what is so exciting to me is I started covering digital assets back in 2017 when people really were very resistant to the idea that this could ever take off. Uh, And here we are in early 2024 and we have a Bitcoin ETF. So it's just been a a great journey uh, and one that I think is really showing the sophistication of the investor audience and how it's opening up. So I'm excited about our conversation today. Uh, Glad to be here as well, Justin, David Mann. Uh, I run products and capital markets. So that's both the ETF pipeline as well as, um, you know, what we call capital markets, how they trade, uh, the creations, redemptions, making sure that investors can get a good um, experience when they're buying and selling on exchange. So just all the, a lot of the plumbing with the, uh, with the ETF ecosystem. Well, that's great. It's really great to have both of you here uh, today. And so, you know, a lot of our listeners have varying degrees of financial knowledge. So I want to kind of just start off and talk a little bit about uh, the basics. And so why don't I ask you first, uh, what is an ETF and, and how does a Bitcoin ETF vary from other ETFs? I'm sure a lot of people have heard of some of these ETFs, but they're not maybe they're not quite sure what it is. Can you can you explain a little bit about that? I'll start with that one. So an, uh, an ETF, an exchange traded fund, is really just a fund that trades on a, on a regulated stock exchange. And um, it usually will hold something. OK, so that could be a basket of stocks. It could be a basket of bonds. It could be gold bars, or in this case, it's uh, it's Bitcoins. So the starting point to think about ETFs is you buy them just like any other stock. So you go onto your your account, you look up, uh, I want to buy 100 shares or 200 shares, um, and 
you'll see they're available and you, you know, they have a bid and an offer and you go trade them. The part that people often want to understand more is, okay, so I buy it on, I buy it on exchange. What happens next? And that's where we start getting into a little bit of things like ETF market makers and the creation redemption um, process. The only really part I want to talk about here is uh, specifically for Bitcoins is as investors are buying all of these Bitcoin ETFs on exchange, since all these uh, funds hold as actual Bitcoins, um, all the ETF market makers, so you can think about uh, you know, professional brokerages and, and banks that are doing the actual um, on-exchange market making, they need to create new shares. The way that works is they're just going to give the fund cash and the fund goes out and buys the Bitcoin. So the big takeaway for investors are, I can now go buy this ETF on exchange and I'm going to get the performance of the underlying Bitcoins. All right, so you, you talked about them holding the coins. Uh, how are they actually held by the fund? I know uh, we hear a lot about the, the coins being held in, in a quote, digital wallet. How, how, does it, how does it work for an individual and how does it work for, for an ETF? Any ETF, you know, I, I started with stocks and bonds and commodities and now Bitcoins. Uh, the ETF issuer, in this case, Franklin Templeton, will have a custodian. So those are those are where the actual assets are held. In this regard, um, the actual Bitcoins are held with Coinbase. And so we have a uh, well-established uh, relationship with them. We've been working with them for, uh, for many years now. So when the fund goes and buys uh, the Bitcoins, those go into um, our Coinbase account where we have a cold wallet with, with um with insurance and protections and everything as such, so that investors know that it's safe. But from the investor experience, they can just buy it like any other stock, which is why we think these Bitcoin uh, uh, ETFs, having Bitcoin exposure within the ETF vehicle is so exciting. I think that clears it up for a lot of our users, but and let, let's back out a little bit and talk a little bit about the technology about around Bitcoin itself. Maybe Sandy, you could help us a little bit with what a distributed ledger is uh, and what blockchain is, and kind of explain a little bit to our users how actually Bitcoin works. I mean, this is a really exciting new space, um, and it's one that only was created in 2009. So we're really talking about very new innovations. Um, and it was created as a network, right? So we're used to networks. We use networks all the time. Uh, when we type HTTP into our browser to get up a website, that's a protocol. Uh, that's a way that one network talks to a different network. Uh, and what Bitcoin did is that Bitcoin created its own network, um, but they wanted a network where peers, different people, you, me, Dave, we could all work with each other directly without having to go through an intermediary. So we call that a peer-to-peer -peer network. And what they did to enable that is they said, well, if there's not going to be an intermediary, if I'm going to be able to go to Justin and Justin's going to be able to go to Dave, I need a ledger that everybody can see so that everybody trusts that when I trade something with Justin, I can see that trade show up. Uh, and when he sells something to Dave, Dave can see that trade set, uh, show up. So what they created was a new kind of ledger, which is just a recording of what's bought and what's sold. But instead of a company owning the ledger, right, um, it is owned by everyone in the network. That's why it's called a distributed ledger. Every person who's part of the network can actually see every transaction that goes through the network. 
uh, and they called this network, this new kind of ledger network, a, a blockchain. Uh, and that was the first time that blockchain had ever been created or deployed was with the launch of Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is going to go down in history as having kind of introduced one of the most radical new technologies that we've seen. We, we've heard a lot of people talking about like ChatGPT in the past year. ChatGPT is a new technology and now people are trying to figure out use cases for it. Uh, blockchain is a brand new technology, but its first use case was built in when the blockchain was introduced, which was Bitcoin. So this is really exciting from that perspective. It's a peer-to-peer -peer network. It's built on a ledger that everyone in the network can see uh, and everyone in the network can participate. Uh, and you compare that to something, say, like a, a Facebook or a YouTube, right? Everybody can see what each other is doing on it, but the company that owns that platform owns all the data. They collect all the revenues, right? With these peer-to-peer -peer networks, that's all shared among everybody who is part of the network. So it's a whole different way of operating, and it's one that is very radically new um, and it's starting to really gain traction and the whole ecosystem is getting built out and it represents a way of really democratizing access to the transaction rails to give everybody an opportunity uh, to participate with their resources in new ways that will give them more of the personal benefit instead of assigning most of that benefit to a centralized company. So, so you talked a, a little bit about that growth and, and the transactions. Can you give us a little bit of idea of, you know, what has that growth been like and how many transactions are you talking about? This is an incredible statistic. And even when I saw it, Justin, I was surprised, right? Uh, but the Bitcoin network has actually done over $110 trillion worth of transactions wow. since 2009. <laughs> Uh, and in 2022, it did more transactions than the Visa network or the MasterCard network, right? And we're used to thinking of these as part of our everyday life. Um, we haven't thought of Bitcoin as part of our everyday life in the same way, in part because it's been hard to access and invest in Bitcoin. And that's one of the uh, aspects of why we think this new ETF structure uh, is going to be very interesting and help to raise awareness uh, about what the potential of the Bitcoin network might be over time. Yeah, and then that really leads into into my next question, and it's really about these. You know, a lot of people uh, are have invested traditionally in stocks or bonds, but there has been, you know, in the last twenty or thirty years, a real move to invest in what's called alternative assets. Uh, and we've seen ETFs pop up around some of these alternative assets, particularly commodities, gold, silver, oil. Uh, what has uh, th those those alternative asset ETFs, what did the, has that meant to the popularity uh, and the width of the investor base? When I started in the ETF industry, I would say that ETFs were always synonymous with passive index equity exposure. Okay, if I wanted to get... Uh, exposure to broad U.S. equities or broad emerging markets, ETFs were a great tool. Um, and probably ETFs didn't get the credit that they were owed in terms of their innovative way to provide exposure to all the things that you just said. Okay, so really over the last, call it now, 10 to 20 years, 
gold, the commodities, uh, fixed income, you know, bank loans, all municipal bonds, all these, all these different asset classes um, were be, became available within the ETF vehicle, often at very competitive prices. And so what we saw was um, investors starting to realize they could use ETFs to build uh, portfolios um, and allocate across all these different things in terms of what you know, whatever they, whatever their view was about those particular asset classes. So, so specifically for alternatives, what we've noticed is uh, a lot of money managers looking to have some, you know, some, some exposure to alternatives, and and you know whether it's low single digits or mid single digits, I'll leave that up to up, up to the the professionals. But the beauty was now all of a sudden you had all these vehicles in ETF form that could provide that in a in a liquid and in, in, in low cost manner. And Bitcoin is now just the, the latest addition to that uh, to that part of the lineup. Great, yeah, great. Thank you. Just add to what Dave said, Justin, um, you know, this idea of having an alternative uh, in your portfolio is really important because really modern portfolio theory really talks about the more diversification you can have in your portfolio, uh, the more likely it is that you're going to be able to have risk-adjusted returns, right? That this diversification helps to offset some of the risk of being overly exposed to just one asset class. Uh, and we've seen institutional investors move very heavily into alternatives. Some of them have more than 20% of their assets allocated, but they allocate to very illiquid alternatives, private equity, private credit, um, infrastructure and real estate, private funds. And that's just not available to many everyday investors. Um, so the introduction of all these new types of alternatives in ETFs is opening the door for individuals to be able to diversify their portfolios, just like institutions have been diversifying their portfolios. So it's a very important progression in really giving individuals more opportunities to get better returns in their portfolio uh, through diversification. That, that's a that's a very good point, Sandy. And I want to point out to our users, you know, a lot of this diversification revolves around um, correlation. So the idea if if you are in an asset and it moves on a one-to-one -one basis with another asset, well, you're not very well diversified. Uh, you want something that are some things that are not super correlated to each other. Uh, and it's very interesting because I always hear, well, Bitcoin is correlated to gold. It's correlated to the NASDAQ. It's this, it's that. And, and, and it seems to change on a month-to-month -month basis. And, and kind of what's your what's your view on that? So actually, we've done some studies and, and Bitcoin is actually fairly uncorrelated. Uh, with some of these other assets classes that you spoke about. We looked at uh, the S&P 500. We looked at the gold index. We looked at the Barclays U.S. Ag Index for bonds. Uh, and we looked at um, the U.S. dollar index. And we actually found that Bitcoin does provide uh, some uncorrelated returns. I think any moment in time, you might see a day where Bitcoin moves up and equities move up, or Bitcoin moves down and equities moves down. But when you look at the statistical performance over time, there really is uh, a correlation benefit by adding Bitcoin to a portfolio in terms of creating diversification, because it is less correlated with some of these other asset classes. Right. That's that's very interesting to know. Uh, so 
diversification obviously might be a reason uh, people are interested in investing in Bitcoin ETFs. And I, I just want to get at, you know, who might be a good investor for Bitcoin ETFs and, and what investors might not want that in, in their in investing plan and how does it fit into that investing plan? First off, it's very important to note that there's risks in investing in Bitcoin that don't exist with some of these other asset classes, right? Bitcoin is not yet under the regulatory perimeter here in the U.S., so nobody regulates it. Um, there is a lot of volatility. We've seen a lot of volatility in the price of Bitcoin. Um, so that can be very difficult for some investors to tolerate, right? Um, and so we really want to point out that while we're enthusiastic about the growth potential, it's not without risks. So really, when you ask yourself, would Bitcoin be good for your portfolio, you should really think about what amount of money can you take more risk with in your portfolio? Um, if you're older and you're getting closer to retirement, maybe you want to take much less risk with that money. If you're younger and you feel like you have time to build and accumulate assets over your lifetime, you might be willing to take a little bit more risk. Uh, Dave noted that even professional investors at this point are still trying to keep single-digit type exposure uh, to Bitcoin because of some of the risks that exist in the asset class. So I think you really need to ask yourself, you know, how willing are you to tolerate the potential volatility? Do you have the time horizon to wait for the Bitcoin prices to really um, perform over time? And are you being careful, right? Don't over allocate to a high risk asset like Bitcoin, even if it's in a better wrapper now, um, you still need to think of it as a very high risk asset. You know, you touched on one part that I think is, is interesting that, you know, Bitcoin, the Bitcoin ETFs hold Bitcoin. So, you know, to, to Sandy's point about, you know, that's the asset class you're getting. You're not getting any income from Bitcoin. You're just getting the price movement of Bitcoins. And so as, you know, especially for, uh, older investors who potentially now want more income, as an example, then Bitcoin's not going to be a great option because it's not going to provide any any income. So having that conversation and, and and making sure that your asset allocation is in line with, you know, your your current goals is 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 of the utmost importance. Uh, that's good to know. So we've we've talked a little bit about that volatility risk of the underlying uh, spot Bitcoin. Uh, what are some of the other risks of investing in Bitcoin and what are some of the risks of a Bitcoin ETF and what are the differences? Like, do you feel like there's different risk profiles from an ETF versus saying going out and buying an underlying spot Bitcoin? You know, one of the reasons we are excited uh, about the Bitcoin ETF is that, you know, we, we do trade Bitcoins already uh, on behalf of our investors, and we have investors that we speak with who trade their own Bitcoins directly. But to do that today, you really need to, first of all, understand uh, how the Bitcoin is being traded. Most of it is being traded on unregulated exchanges, um, and you are required to either hold the Bitcoin in a digital wallet yourself or you are trusting this unregulated exchange to hold the Bitcoin on your behalf. Uh, and that has led to problems in the past. You've seen uh, incidences like the FTX exchange last year commingling customer money because they're not regulated and no one was watching. Um, so there's risks there. And typically, only people who are really willing to get into that set of risks and understand the technology have really ventured into the space to directly own Bitcoin. 
Uh, but if you look at the historical performance, and we've done some analysis on this, Justin, and in eight of the last 10 years, Bitcoin was the top performing asset class uh, for the year, right? So that's a very compelling statement for some investors who are looking for that higher risk asset. Um, and so what we have seen is that there's more appetite to invest, but people did not want to get caught up with the complexities of investing directly into the Bitcoin. It's making it easier for investors to get that exposure without having to really step into these unregulated exchanges, these digital wallets. Instead, they are trusting Franklin Templeton, as Dave mentioned earlier, we are creating the institutional relationships to manage the direct Bitcoin on their behalf. They get the exposure uh, to the price movements of the Bitcoin without the need to actually physically hold the Bitcoin. And Justin, one of the, you know, I guess things that Sandy and I like to talk about is we've sort of got this intersection of the digital asset crypto space with my ETF world where we've, you know, for, at Franklin, where we've had equities, fixed incomes, commodities, and now Bitcoin within the ETF vehicle. So, you know, to your point about the risk, one of the things that um, our whole team does is making sure that there's multiple ETF market makers that can, um, you know, pr provide two-way markets on exchange to make sure that there's multiple authorized participants who have the ability to create and redeem shares, make sure there's multiple approved counterparties so that the fund can actually go out and buy and sell the Bitcoins that it's going to hold, you know, working with, you know, Coinbase as an example to make sure that those Bitcoins are safeguarded. But we're taking a lot of caution downstream to to make sure that the that the that the plumbing works right, so that user experience is is a is a good one. Right, and that's that's why these whole set of Bitcoin ETF spot Bitcoin ETF products are such an exciting new offering for the marketplace. Yeah, and and a lot of uh, what people want from Bitcoin that they might not have been getting is some type of transparency. And I know the SEC is now uh, having uh, disclosures. Uh, requiring ETFs to have these disclosures. Can you talk a little bit about the disclosures uh, that are required and what that might mean for investors? If you go to our registration statement, there's extensive amount of disclosures in terms of all the risks associated with um, with Bitcoins. Uh, you know, as I was joking with our legal team, it was a crash course on every possible scenario. And our digital asset unit is actually one of the most established globally we were actually the first asset manager ever to launch a mutual fund on the public blockchain. And we worked extensively with the SEC to do that. So we have a lot of experience within the digitally native space. Uh, and then now we're combining that experience with Dave and his team's experience in the ETF space to safely manage the wrapper and all of the mechanics that need to go into being able uh, to offer this product. So we think it is a great marriage and we're very excited about it. We've seen trading now for about a week. What has been uh, the initial reaction from investors? What's the, the volume been like compared to other ETF launches? Can you speak to a little bit uh, about, I know this has been hyped up for quite a long time. And now that we're here, you know, what, what, what's, the, what's the initial results look like? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been great so far. Uh, you know, one of the, um, you know, we touched on this a little bit in terms of like, well, what's the volume going to look like? in the first few days, because we know that there's going to be a lot of platforms and gatekeepers that are, that are going to watch this thing for a while. And they want to see um, that the ETFs are doing what they were supposed to do in terms of providing exposure to Bitcoin. So first movers are the first movers. Um, 
you know, the crypto natives that now want to have it in a different form? Is it um, asset allocators who've had money on the sideline and want to have a, um, you know, a little bit of exposure to Bitcoin, but they wanted it with an ETF form. Those are things that we were all speculating, but, um, you know, collectively of all the new, the new, uh, all the ETFs combined, it's been about a billion dollars of net inflows, um, lots of volume, um, you know, with so many v, uh, ETFs launching at once, it's always hard to tell if there's uh, lots of new money coming in everyone, or if there's a little bit of moving from, you know, number one to number four and number six to number two or something. That's great to hear. And, and but kind of my last question mm -hmm. relates to, you know, I, I know most investors out there are interested in buying and possibly holding holding Bitcoin or Bitcoin ETF, but there are some investors that that are interested in, in shorting uh, a, a Bitcoin. Can you short a Bitcoin? Can you short a Bitcoin ETF? How, how does that work? You know, within the ET, you know, we like to call it the ETF ecosystem. Um, since they trade like stocks, uh, ETFs will go through the uh, normal SEC lending protocols of, of their uh, securities lending agents. So for investors who want to go short an ETF, assuming that there's borrow available, they, they can borrow shares and, um, and sell them short on exchange if they wanted to have, um, I guess, exposure to the uh, to the downside uh, that you know you'd have to go through your uh, your sec lending agent or platform to see if those shares are available for um, uh, for selling short, but uh, we would we would expect over time that as these um, all these Bitcoin ETFs get bigger, that they will start showing up on those um, on those platforms, and if investors want to sell uh, sell short, they they could do so, just like any other ETF. One thing to keep on your horizon if you're thinking about uh, these Bitcoin ETFs is that there is this pattern within the Bitcoin um, network itself that's called the halving pattern. Uh, and it's technical. It's basically the way that the Bitcoin network pays the people who verify transactions. Every uh, about four years, when a certain number of new transaction blocks have been added to the ledger, um, they cut the price in half. Uh, of what they pay uh, the people who verify transactions in the network as a reward, they cut it in half, and that tends to tighten up the supply of Bitcoin for a period. So I just want to bring to people's attention that we are likely going to see that cut, that halving event happen sometime in the next three or four months. So just something to keep on your horizon, uh, that this is a pretty established pattern in the Bitcoin market. Uh, and in the past, it has led to big rallies in Bitcoin. The past is no guarantee of the future, and I want to make that very clear. Uh, but it is an event that is a big fundamental event for Bitcoin. So we would definitely be keeping your eye out and try and understand the timing around that event if you're looking at these assets. And, and I do want to remind our users that when you short a security, you have a potential for an unlimited loss. And, and getting at that having, I mean, would you expect there is a possibility that uh, you could have less ETFs available to short uh, in, in this type of situation? Supply will be dictated um, in terms of the assets of, the, of those ETFs. Okay, so when the public is buying an ETF, uh, new shares have to get created and the shares outstanding will grow and there's more shares available uh, to the public. And so from a SEC lending perspective, um, what we see is there's, you know, when that demand is increasing, they'll look at the supply of ETFs in the system and see if there's 
enough shares. And if there's not, then shares will start getting recalled and low, and your short positions might have to be um, might have to be closed. So it's really going to be contingent on uh, the amount of shares outstanding of those ETFs. I really want to thank Sandy uh, and David for being with us today. I'll, I'll let each of you maybe tell us uh, any closing thoughts you have about uh, Franklin Templeton that, or the Bitcoin ETF or, or both. Well, I'll just uh, finish off by saying thank you to Moomoo for sponsoring this and for being uh, willing to really educate their customers on these new products. Um, we at Franklin Templeton are experts in digital assets and experts at ETFs, and we're happy to be able to bring this expertise to you. And we look forward to sharing more content and more uh, of our knowledge and insight to help you be a better investor. Great. Well, thanks to both of you for being on the show. The opinions expressed are those of the host and any guest speaker and not necessarily those of Moomoo Technologies, Inc. or its affiliates. The podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only and is not a recommendation or endorsement of any particular investment or investment strategy that may be mentioned or covered in the podcast. All investments involve risk and the loss of principal as possible. Past performance does not indicate or guarantee future success. Moomoo is not affiliated with any outside guests or their companies. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and may not be appropriate for all investors. The Moomoo app is an online trading platform offered by Moomoo Technologies, Inc. Securities, brokerage products, and related services available through the Moomoo app are offered by Moomoo Financial, Inc., a member of FINRA, SIPC.